Chapter Twenty One of the Submarine Boys for the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Kagan. The Submarine Boys for the Flag by Victor G. Durham. Chapter Twenty One. Daisy Houston decides for the flag. It is somewhat lonely place on the outskirts of the city, warned the girl. Mr. Graves had thought that, if no other chance offered, he might possibly get away by leaving that house and taking to the country roads. For he knows that if he takes a train at any point, he won't ride five miles before he'll find himself in the clutches of a secret service man. Oh, he knows how well the trains and the steamboats will be watched. He dreads even that the country roads will be watched. I don't know anything about the Secret Service lines that are out, Jack confessed honestly, and I imagine that every possible precaution has been taken to capture Millard or Graves. You don't know my name, cried the girl, as though struck by a sudden thought. Mr. Benson, you have been wrapped in so much mystery, so much deceit, so much lying and treachery, that I won't even have you guess whether I am telling you the truth. Here's my card case. Take out a card for yourself. The request was so much like a command that Benson obeyed. On the card, in old English script, he read, Miss Daisy Houston. I thank you, Miss Houston, he acknowledged gravely, handing back her card case. Will you signal the driver to stop? she requested. They were now driving through the western part of Washington. When the driver found himself signaled, he reined up, then came to the cab door. You know where to go, she said. Yes, nodded the man. Drive there, then. The driver whipped up his horses to a better speed while the vehicle bowling along now. I feel very much fear that I'm running you into danger, declared Daisy Houston soberly. Mr. Benson, if you decide to leave the cab or to have me take you back to the center of the city, I shall not imagine you to be lacking in courage. I cannot be in any greater danger than you, Miss Houston, Benson ventured with a smile. Oh, it's much different in my case, argued the girl. Donald Graves would not attack a woman, especially the woman he had professed to love. Miss Houston, do you feel like discussing this matter any further? hazarded the young acting naval lieutenant. Yes, as much as you wish. I confess to be a bit curious. About what? Did Millard, or Graves, I mean, have any great reason to need money? More, I mean, than he could earn by honest work? Yes, admitted Miss Daisy. My mother is dead. Under her will I will inherit a considerable little fortune when I'm twenty-five, but it's solely on the condition that I have my father's permission to marry the man of my choice. I could remain single until twenty-five, but I'm only nineteen, and Mr. Graves complained that it would be an eternity to wait. Then your father did not approve of Millard. I am going to call him that because the other name is unfamiliar. My father feared that Donald was a fortune hunter. He said he would be satisfied if Donald could show that he was rich in his own name. So Graves, or Millard, hit upon the plan of stealing our harbor fortification secrets and selling them to another government, said Jack, meditatingly. Yet I'm puzzled to understand how he found the chance. Are no foreign agents openly engaged in buying our national secrets? I think I can explain all that, though it will be guesswork, replied Daisy Houston, thoughtfully. 
My father was for some years minister to Sweden. He is still well acquainted with foreign diplomats here in Washington. Some of them are often at our house. Donald must have met one there who tempted him or pointed the way to a fortune. Yes, I'm certain that must be the answer. But perhaps you don't like me asking questions? No, no, I don't mind now, replied Daisy Houston. I began to feel as though I had been an innocent party to Donald Gray's wrongdoing. When he went to try to see you this afternoon, I suppose only that Donald had gotten into trouble through some filibustering expedition to Central America. I did not look upon that as so serious, you see. But selling the national secrets is quite another matter, she added bitterly. I shall never care for that man again. I've wrenched him from my heart in these last few minutes. So you may ask me any questions that will help to clear up the matter. Thank you, Miss Houston. And did Graves, or Millard, as I call him, expressed any hope of becoming suddenly well-to-do? Yes, and now I can understand how he has lied to me. He let me believe that he hoped to profit through mining concessions to Americans that would follow the overthrow of one of those petty despots in Central America. Yet Millard has been away from Washington much, has he not? Most of the time during the last four months, he generally managed to get over here one day out of seven, sometimes two days at a time. I believe the whole matter is becoming rather clear in my mind. I do not mind telling you, Miss Houston, how I first came to know the fellow. He was over at our shipyard in Dunhaven, trying to get employment on the construction of submarine boats. But something in his manner made us suspect him, and he, and he didn't get near the secrets of any of our boats. There is one thing, however, that Benson felt he would like to have cleared up, so he inquired. Though he did not allow the girl to see the motion, Jack felt stealthily at his right hip pocket. Yes, the loaded revolver was there. Jack did not believe in the practice of carrying concealed weapons. He had great contempt for both the nerve and the judgment of fool boys who carried revolvers, loaded or otherwise. But just now the situation was different. Jack Benson was an acting lieutenant in the United States Navy. Just before leaving the Navy Department, he and his comrades had each been advised to take a pro-offered weapon and carry it against the chance that they might find Millard or Graves in Washington and find themselves under the necessity of taking him prisoner. Spies and traitors are taken alive or dead, the official had remarked, who handed them the weapons. How much further have we to go? inquired Jack as the cab turned down a country lane. Oh, a very short distance now, replied Daisy Houston. Jove, but she's a stunning girl for nerve and principle, thought Lieutenant Jack admiringly. She's going now to what must be the tragedy of her plans and hopes, yet she has her color back again and looks as composed as though she was out for only an airing. There's a house, almost whispered the girl at last, resting a steady cool hand on his arm. Jack looked and saw the place. A little, old-fashioned home, standing among trees, some hundred feet from the road. In that swift glance, he also noted there was no building on either side. Daisy Houston did not ask whether the young man at her side proposed to try to arrest the man he sought. She was too discreet to pry into his plans. Up into the little yard before the house, the horses trotted. Then, just as the cab was coming to a stop, the driver cracked his whip lash twice. Immediately the door flew open. Millard, as Jack Benson knew him, stepped out jauntily, a smile of delight on his face. 
Good enough, Daisy, he cried as he strode toward the cab. I see that you have one Benson over to our side. He shall be my friend after this, but Daisy, what? For the girl had sprung lightly out of the cab before Jack Benson could assist her. The girl now stood, drawn to a full height, yet without affecting any theatrical pose. But her lips hovered a smile of cool disdain that the look in her eyes heightened. Don't lie to me any more, Donald Graves, commanded the girl steadily. And don't deceive yourself. Both tasks, I know, will be hard for a man so vile that he'd sell his country's flag. Millard stared at her in growing horror. Then anger rushed to his face. Daisy, he gasped. Have you betrayed me? Have you brought Benson here as an enemy? Daisy did not answer her former lover. She continued to gaze at him with an irony of expression that sent the hot blood mounting to his head. Can't you speak, he demanded. Then, Benson, why don't you talk? Because, replied Jack, I'm waiting for Miss Houston to say to you all, or as little as she cares to say. Speak, then, commanded Millard, turning to the girl. My command to you, retorted the girl, is different. Silence. Never address me again, you traitor to your flag. Millard was swift to realize the fullness of the girl's contempt. He knew that everything between them was over. Come on, come on, then, girl, he uttered harshly. It is time for you to be gone. Step into the cab and get away from here. For I would spare you what is to follow, my reckoning with Benson. He clapped his hands. The door opened and four men stepped out. Their type was not hard to determine. They were the scum of humanity, ready for any desperate deed. End of chapter 21 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan